today we're going to begin our study in the book of Psalms. And today will be more of a really just an introductory lesson into the book. We want to get a good overview of what we're going to study, so we won't actually get into Psalm 1 until next time. So today is just kind of an introduction into the book of Psalms, and I think there's a lot to learn even in just that initial introduction to the book. But I don't know about you, but the Psalms have really been a go-to for me over the years. I mean, when I'm in between books of the Bible or I don't know where to read on a particular day, then I typically just go to the Psalms. And for quite a while, I would actually limit my weekend reading to the book of Psalms. I would call it soaking in the Psalms. So I would just take and open the book of Psalms. I would read a little bit in there. I would think, read a little more, think, and then think some more. There's just so much there that we can learn from this beautiful book. And more than once, I've been struggling with something and just flipped open to the Bible, hoping for direction, and I've found that in the book of Psalms. And I don't recommend that as a form of Bible study, by the way, but, but I think we've all been there at some point where we just need to hear from the Lord, open our Bible, and the Lord speaks. And that typically has happened for me in the book of Psalms. But the Psalms run the entire gamut of human emotion and experience. There's no doubt about that. But I read somewhere that said there are a total of 126 different human psychological experience. 126. And I would argue that each and every one of those experiences, impulses, and emotions are reflected here in the book of Psalms. Charles Spurgeon once said, I never get into a corner, but I find David in that corner. What a great quote. So whatever you're going through, David or one of the writers has probably already written about that. And one of the things that I hope is that we learn in this study is how much we can see Jesus in the Psalms. I mean, he's everywhere, and we'll talk a little bit more on that later, but we see Christ all throughout the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms has been called the epitome and anatomy of the soul. And it's also been referred to as the garden of Scripture, and I really like that definition because where did Jesus often go to pray? We'll see how often Jesus quoted the Psalms a little bit later as well. But Jesus, he prayed in the garden, didn't he? So here we go. Let's, let's look at some facts into this book uh, before we get really in-depth into our study here. But, you know, the book of Psalms, it was considered the hymn book of the temple for the nation of Israel. Most commentators would agree. First Chronicles 16 was probably saying in the tabernacle, which there's a psalm in there, and we'll talk more about that in our study as well. But the book of Psalms is quoted more times in the New Testament than any other book. In fact, of the 216 Old Testament quotes we see in the New Testament, 119 of them are from the book of Psalms. So there's a quite a quite a good evidence there that uh, the book of Psalms is worth paying attention to, that's for sure. But each psalm was actually a song the Hebrew word Tehillim means praise or song of praise. And the Greek word Salomai means a song set to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. So the Psalms are really lyrics or poetry that was set to music for the purpose of worship. C.S. Lewis said, Most emphatically, the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics with all the licenses and all the formalities, the hyperboles, the emotion, uh, rather than logical connections which are proper to lyric poetry. 
William MacDonald points out that these insights, like the one I just read you from Lewis, can open up a whole new window of understanding for us. Absolutely. So the Psalms were used for both worship and devotion time for the nation of Israel as well. So you see both spirit and truth here in the Psalms. But in order to get the most out of the Psalms devotionally, then we've got to understand the style in which they were written. And it is poetry. It really is. And poetry provokes both thought and emotion. So we need to understand that. But the book of Psalms, it's also the largest book in the Bible. It's actually made up of five individual books as well. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's placed in the very center of the entire Bible. And interestingly, Psalm 119 focuses almost entirely on the Word of God. It's a beautiful psalm. And out of the 176 total verses in the Psalms, only four, according to my count anyway, uh, of them don't refer directly to the Word of God. His precepts, statutes, laws, judgments, testimonies, ways, etc. All synonyms for God's Word or the Torah. So, 176 total verses in Psalm 119, and only four don't directly refer to the Word of God. And this psalm is uh, its one of about a dozen Hebrew alphabetic acrostic poems in the Bible. We're still talking about Psalm 119 here. And its 176 verses are divided into 22 different stanzas. One stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, in other words. And within each stanza, each of the eight verses begins in Hebrew with that letter. And I've read in more than one place that William Wilberforce, do you remember him? He's a historic British politician. He was a leader in the movement to abolish slavery in the late 1700s to early 1800s. Well, he would recite this entire psalm, Psalm 119, from memory each day as he walked home from the parliament. Take about a 20-minute walk or so, and he would quote uh, from memory Psalm 119. Impressive. Now, the five books break down like this in, in the book of Psalms. There's five books inside this one book that we call Psalms. And book one is from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 41. Book two is Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. Book 3 is Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. Book 4 is Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. And Book 5 is Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. And now some scholars have connected the five books of the Psalms to the first five books of the Bible, right? The Pentateuch, which was written by Moses. And I'm going to use a combination of what J. Vernon McGee, uh, Bruce Wilkinson, and Kenneth Boa say in their outline to illustrate the book of Psalms and kind of give you a breakdown uh, based on what these guys would say. They don't say exactly the same thing, and so I'm going to kind of meld their their thoughts on this outline together with my own. But if you were to outline the book of Psalms, you could do it like this. Book 1, for example, would be the Genesis section of the Psalms. You would see creation, man, and the fall. Psalm 1, for example, you would see the perfect man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. At Psalm 2, you would see rebellious man. Psalm 3, the perfect man is rejected. Psalm 4, conflict between the seed of woman and the serpent. Psalm 5, you see the perfect man in the midst of enemies. Psalm 6, perfect man in the midst of chastisement, or in other words, bruising heel. Psalm 7, the perfect man in the midst of false witnesses. Psalm 8, repair of man comes through 
comes through man bruising his head so you see all of this coming from the creation story the early accounts of genesis psalm 9 through psalm 15 you would see the enemy and the antichrist uh, conflict and you would see final deliverance in psalms 16 through 41 you would see christ in the midst of his people sanctifying them to god and now in book two you could call that the exodus section you see ruin you see deliverance and then you see redemption so I won't go through each of these psalms again, but if we're going to look at that from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72, you're going to see Israel's ruin. You're going to see, starting in Psalm 50, Israel's Redeemer. And starting in Psalm 61, you'll see Israel's redemption. Book 3, you could call the Leviticus section of the psalms. And we're going to see a lot of worship, and we'll see some of the sanctuary in those psalms. You'll see the tabernacle, the temple, house and assembly in almost every psalm there from 73 all the way to psalm 89 book four you could call the numbers section of the psalms you're going to see the wilderness and the wandering there we'll see peril and protection from psalms 90 all the way through psalm 106 and then in book five you could consider the deuteronomy section of of the psalms we're going to see a lot of scripture there we're going to see praise psalms 107 through 150 you'll see perfection of the word of god and praise for it and now you could outline this book the book of psalms a number of different ways that's just one way to look at it uh, scholars have outlined this in, in many different ways but because the psalms range in topic from praise to peace from war to worship from jubilation to judgment and even from messianic prophecy to lament so there's a lot of different ways you could outline this really uh, but they're very emotional they're very relational but they're also very personal and very practical. And we're going to notice that and pull some of that out as well in our study. But this may be why the book of Psalms is believed to be the most widely read book in the Bible. Did you know that? Most people, if they're going to read some scripture, uh, tend to lean toward the Psalms. Most people have read some of the Psalms. So how about you? Where does the book of Psalms rank for you in terms of your favorite book or books in the Bible? It's definitely at the the top of my list, or at least in the top three probably, for me. Well, let's look at the authors of the book, okay? It's written by a number of different authors. The Psalms wasn't just written by David. There's several different authors, and some of them are actually anonymous, and uh, of course they've all been inspired by God, but it was written over a period of about a thousand years, from approximately 1410 B.C. to 430 B.C., so uh, about 980 to 1,000 years or so is what we expect or suspect there. David has 73. He's authored at least 73. So almost half of the Psalms uh, were assigned to him either directly or indirectly. And we'll see how that happens a little bit later in our study. Um, but for example, Psalm 2 is ascribed to him. Uh, you'll remember from Acts chapter 4 verse 25, for example. You won't see his name in the title of Psalm 2, but you'll see him referred to as the author in Acts chapter 4, verse 25. And Psalm 95 is ascribed to him, David that is, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. So it's believed that you know he could also be the author of many of the 39 what we call anonymous or orphanic psalms. It's quite possible that David could have authored some or all of those, I guess. But some attribute a portion of the orphanic psalms to Ezra as well. And by the way, people differ in some of these numbers. Uh, they may vary a little bit, so uh, there's a lot that we just don't know. So we're kind of speculating on some of this authorship stuff. But 
The other known writers of the Psalms include Moses. We know that he wrote at least one Psalm, the 90th Psalm. And Psalm 90 and 91 have been said to originally be one Psalm. And if so, then Moses wrote two Psalms, right? According to the way that they've been broken up today. But Solomon, uh, he's attributed to the authorship of two of the Psalms. That would be Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. The sons of Korah have 11, uh, Asaph 12, Heman has 1, the 88th Psalm, Ethan has 1, the 89th Psalm, and Hezekiah has authored 10. And so we're familiar with David, Solomon, and Moses, but what about some of these other authors? Let's talk a little bit about them. Asaph was evidently a priest and a singer from a very musical family. We see that in Ezra chapter 2, 41, and some have interpreted his name to mean collector. So could it be uh, that he is one of the people to actually actually collect all of these psalms together into these books or this book? I don't know. Seems like a possibility though. Other places in scripture indicate that Hezekiah, David, and Ezra were involved in various stages of collecting the psalms. We see that in Second Chronicles 29.30, Proverbs 25.1, and Nehemiah 8. And the sons of Korah, uh, they had names actually. So you'll see some of the psalms written by the sons of Korah, but they had names. They were Aser, Elkanah, and Abasaph. We see that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 24. Now Korah, you'll remember, he had a problem with Moses' authority. Remember that? And he basically rebelled and contended against him. You read about that in Numbers chapter 16 and Numbers 26. So what happened was the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed him up. And a fire consumed 250 men as a sign. We read about that in Numbers 26.10. And then it says this, Nevertheless, the sons of Korah did not die. Numbers 26, verse 11. And thankfully, uh, you know, they didn't follow in the footsteps of their father, right? But they rather worshipped the Lord, and he used them to write many of these beautiful songs that are now a part of eternal scripture. So, that's a beautiful story. And just a side note here, too. Korah's name is said to mean bald, like bald-headed. And so I don't know if any of his sons suffered from male pattern baldness or not. I don't know. But I can uh, just take a moment here to say that, hey, bald guys are people too, right? I, I can understand that a little bit. But what about Heman? Do you remember him? His name means faithful. Heman was known uh, as a wise man, 1 Kings 4.31 of which Solomon was said to be wiser, though. And he was also a singer alongside Asaph. He was a cymbal player. We see that in First Chronicles fifteen nineteen. What about this guy, Ethan? His name means enduring. And so he and Heman, they could have been close friends. That's very possible because they're both mentioned in the same verse as being wise in First Kings chapter 4, verse 31. They were mentioned as being singers in First Chronicles fifteen nineteen. And then, of course, Hezekiah, the 13th king of Judah. We see that in 1 Kings 16. He's also mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 9. Now let's talk about the types of psalms that we see in the book. Now, as you would expect, with so many different writers, there's many different types of psalms as well. However, uh, they all have an overarching theme of praise really and they're all written in the form of songs or prayers or poems but they include 
types like this. There's messianic psalms. There are, of course, psalms of praise from the Halal, Psalm 113 through 118. We see psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, wisdom psalms, among other titles um, that are given by different people over the years. But there's many, many different types as well. But one of the more difficult types of psalms that we see are what is called the imprecatory psalms, which means a spoken curse or a called down curse. And so these are pretty difficult. And these psalms invoke divine judgment on our enemies or on one's enemies. And we see a total of about 12 or so in the book of Psalms. And a lot of controversy has come about with these particular psalms throughout the years because they don't seem to be very loving or very forgiving. They don't seem to, at least on the surface anyway, align with the teaching of the New Testament in some people's opinion. At least that's a perception that's out there. But I totally disagree. And I think most uh, real Bible scholars would as well. But I like how Wilkinson and Boa, uh, they have a great book called Talk Through the Bible. It's a cut little brief commentary. They explain it like this. They say, although some of them seem unreasonably harsh, talking about the imprecatory Psalms, a few things should be kept in mind. One, they call for divine justice rather than human vengeance. And two, they ask for God to punish the wicked and thus vindicate his righteousness. Three, they condemn sin. In Hebrew thinking, no sharp distinction exists between a sinner and his sin. And four, even Jesus calls down a curse on several cities and tells his disciples to curse cities that do not receive the gospel. That's Matthew chapter 10 verses 14 and 15. And so I would just add a point of clarification here though, personally. I would say that Jesus proclaimed a curse here in Matthew 10 rather than called it down. Uh, but either way, the wicked will be cursed, and that's just a matter of fact, no doubt about it. So here's some more interesting tidbits about the book of Psalms. Many people have noticed that Jesus quoted from the Psalms on a number of occasions, uh, about 11 actually, in fact. So he quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. And uh, this would be including his Sermon on the Mount when he taught the multitudes there, when he answered the Jewish leaders, when he cleansed the temple, during the Last Supper, and even on the cross, he quoted from the book of Psalms. And also, I mean, the book of Psalms gives us many insights into the person of Christ, which we'll see as we move through the book. But I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, the Psalms are full of Christ. There is a more complete picture of him in the Psalms than there is in the Gospels. The Gospels tell us that he was crucified, but the Psalms tell us what went on in his heart during the crucifixion. You can read about that in Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. The, the Gospel, or the Gospels rather, McGee continues, tell us he went back to heaven. But the Psalms begin where the Gospels leave off and show us Christ seated in heaven. Psalm uh, 16 and Psalm 110. So, when you read the book of Psalms, definitely be on the lookout for Jesus. He's everywhere. I've told my class as teaching through this book, be looking around every corner for Jesus because you'll find him. He's in there. The book of Psalms provides an exciting study into the life of Christ. And we see both his nature and his work in the book of Psalms. And now one book that's really helped me to see Christ in the book of Psalms is one that I 
uh, started reading off, uh, I don't know, it's been a few years ago now that I began reading it, but it's called The Songs of Jesus. And I've read through that at least two or three times probably. It was written by Tim and Kathy Keller. I would highly recommend that book. It's short daily devotionals, um, very, very well um, written, and uh, just offers a great perspective on uh, these these poems and these songs, and then it offers up some really honest prayers in there as well. So I highly recommend that. Again, The Songs of Jesus by Tim and Kathy Keller. Um, so I'm going to, throughout this study, probably be sharing some insights from that as well as we study through the book together. But in addition to the book of Psalms, there are several several other Psalms, rather, that are written in the Old Testament. So you find Psalms in many other places besides just the book of Psalms. For example, Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 32, Judges 5, 1 Samuel 2, 2 Samuel 22, the book of Job. We see three Psalms there, Job 3, Job 7, and Job 10, Isaiah 12 and 38, Lamentations 3, Jonah 2, and Habakkuk chapter 3. So there's Psalms all throughout the Old Testament as well. And then I, one that I would add is actually one of my personal favorites is First Chronicles chapter 16, uh, particularly verses 8 through 36. And now it's important to note here that the book of Psalms is also very literary. Uh, so there's an interesting word that's used in the book of Psalms, and it's actually unique to the book of Psalms. Any ideas of what that word might be? We don't see it anywhere else in literature, but it's the word Selah. And I know you're familiar with it if you've read through the Psalms, but you're going to see that word 71 times in the book of Psalms. And it's used three times in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3 as well. So what does that word mean? Well, there's a lot of opinion about that, but honestly, the true meaning of the word is unknown. But some believe that it was used as a musical mark to indicate an interlude or a crescendo in the song. Others believe that it's a word that means to pause or reflect on what's been said. That's kind of where I land. I, I think it means pause and think or pause and meditate. So because of the unknown definition of this word, however, Bible scholars, they've simply done what's called transliteration. They've transliterated the word from the original, meaning they've carried the spelling over from Hebrew. So nothing's changed, but they haven't defined it. And so another word that's unique to the book of Psalms is the word mictum. You've probably seen that in some of the titles, M-I-C-H-T-A-M. You're going to see it in the headings or the titles possibly in Psalm 16. You'll see it in Psalms uh, 56 through 60 as well. So mictum, some believe anyway, they translate the word to mean golden or precious. And we see that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Uh, we see it uh, also, it could mean tablet or inscription, uh, stelograph. The root of the word literally means to stamp or to grave. And so it's regarded to mean a composition so precious as to be worthy to be engraved on a durable tablet for preservation. That would be kind of a technical definition of the word. Whereas others render the word a psalm of precious, or as precious rather, as stamped gold. A psalm is precious as stamped gold. Uh, and so, fine stamped gold, that's that's mictum. So kind of have get that idea in your mind when you see that, and that helps uh, set the stage for the psalm you're about to read. Uh, David obviously knew the importance of these psalms when he wrote about them. There's no doubt about that. And another word that we're going to see throughout the psalms 
and the title sections is the word maskil, M-A-S-C-H-I-L, uh, pronounced maskil. So this word means understanding, it means instruction. We're going to see that word in 13 of the Psalms that we study. Now, unlike Mictum, the Mictum Psalms, which were all written by David, the Maskell Psalms have various authors. They have six that were written by David, three by the sons of Korah, two by Asaph, one by Heman, and one by Ethan. So these Psalms are really what's called didactic Psalms, okay, or songs. In other words, they're teaching songs, and they enforce some kind of lesson that we're supposed to understand or be instructed by. So keep your eyes out for the word Mictum. And one definition of these psalms is to praise with understanding. And I really like that definition. I like that about the, the maskal psalms, the ones that are teaching us something. They're didactic. So we want to praise, yes, but we want to praise with understanding. And I really like that because our praise should be smart. It should be thoughtful. And it should be true, right? Not just mindless, empty, trendy words. We want to worship and praise with understanding. Spirit and truth. So there's other words that we're going to find in the titles throughout the Psalms, but these are the the uh, most common in the majority of the translations anyway. So be thinking about this um, as we wrap up our brief introduction into the book of Psalms. Um, what are your thoughts on the Psalms as you read through them? What do you think about? How does it um, inspire you? How does it convict you or correct you? Do you have a favorite psalm? Uh, what do you like most about them generally? Uh, what have they meant to you in your walk with Christ? Have Has the book of Psalms enhanced your walk with Christ at all? And also, what do you hope to learn from this study as we go through it? Uh, how would you like to grow in Christ as a result of studying the book of Psalms? Well, my hope for this study can really be found in Psalm 119, verse 133. And it says this, Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Amen. So may the Lord direct our steps and keep us from sin as we study his word together in hopes that we can all grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ through this study of uh, this amazing book called Psalms. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this brief introduction. Thank you for um, your word that has been settled in heaven. You tell us that. In the book of Psalms, you tell us that in Psalm 119, that your word is settled in heaven. So we can trust it. It's without error. It's unending. And it's perfect. And so, Lord, please guide us through your spirit into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.